Good morning. Um, my name is Ethan Smith, as the screen will attest to. Um, I'm one of five different people who alternate up here. Um, it's kind of a running joke. If you don't like what one of us has to say, come back the next week. Um, it hopefully will follow the same basic premise. Uh, we have been working through Philippians, and um, this is our third session in Philippians. So I'm going to pray. Um, this was not an easy sermon to put together, um, and I'm going to need some help with that. So let's pray. God, I thank you that we can trust you in a, in a really dark world, in a world that doesn't offer, that offers certainty and offers predictability, but they are false offers. And this song about uh, on you as our rock, I ask that we would drill that into our skulls as the only certain thing. And ask, I ask that you would give us the faith that we cannot conjure up on our own, to believe that that is the only sound thing that we can connect to. Um, I ask that as I talk this morning and am prone to ramble, that you would clip things off in people's brains that shouldn't stick and that you would um, make the things stick that need to stick, both for me and for um, everyone here today. I thank you that you do offer us yourself, not in a small way, but you completely offered yourself, and then you give us your life. Help us to, to listen, and help me to speak from that place today. In your name, amen. Um, I'm just going to jump right in, and like I've said before, I do have everything written out, and I, I'm going to probably read notes and things, so um, hopefully that doesn't put anyone off. Uh, I've really struggled with Paul's letters. Um, and then as I tried to work through this passage in Philippians, initially I was given a slightly different passage, um, and I spent hours trying to get my head around what on earth do I pull out of this passage that's meaningful. And I hit a wall. I just could not find anything. Um, it just seemed very surface and like good theological truths, but really nothing of substance to, to bite into. Then I found myself struggling or getting annoyed with the Apostle Paul. That, how about that for her heresy? I'll move so the lightning hits here. Um, the letters, they ramble, and they have run-on sentences, and he goes from decrying his complete disinterest in whatever happens to him, um, and it's all about God and all about how God is working through him. And then the next sentence, he talks about how he has these hopes and dreams and that how it's going gonna, it's gonna to break his heart if the church doesn't do what he wants to do. And I'm like, well, that's manipulation. I don't, I don't know that we would be friends if I was uh, walking the same planet he was. But the, the first candle, or I, I think the light in the distance came when I realized that Paul, and this may be news to all of you, um, <laughs> It's probably, I was probably the only one. He's not writing this letter to me. Um, 
he wasn't writing the letter to the Christian church. He didn't think at the time that he was writing the letter in prison that we would be able to pull up this letter, everyone in here, and there's probably a version, there's probably five versions of this letter per person in this room, and we can all pull it up on our devices, and that there would be college courses and whole um, uh, doctoral programs dedicated to Paul's letter. Like, people have got their doctorates in Philippians. I don't think he thought that. Again, I, maybe I'm off. Um, he was writing to a group of maybe 30, 50, 200 people. And I, I don't know how big the church was. I looked into it. It didn't have anything, um, anything there. But when I read it from that perspective, and kind of like if you've ever had an eye test, they like click that thing down in front of your eyeball, um, my perspective shifted. And I moved from reading the re- letter as like a religious treatise to shape the Christian church into uh, what's theology and all of this as a letter from someone who loved these people dearly. He was in prison, and this was, in his mind, probably the last communication he was going to have with the people he was writing to. And he loved them. So I want you to get the sense for Paul writing these words and, and if you need to go back and re-listen or re- read all of Philippians, do so. Because it was really helpful for me to reread Paul's letter from this standpoint. He is writing his last words to people who he loved dearly and that he was excluded from. He was detached from. Um, so I've, I've lived long enough. Uh, and I've uh, been through enough of life to think about what I'd want to communicate if I have to the people closest to me if I had a letter to write. And probably I've thought more than is healthy, what I'd, what I'd want to communicate at the end, like what, what matters? And who would I want to communicate that to? Like what's the audience? Um, how would I want that person to feel? How would I hope that they responded? And how, how would I hope that they would carry on after I'm gone? What really matters? Like, think about what really matters. What is the thing that if you had one letter to write to people, what is it that you would want to communicate to them? I'm going to hit pause because 10 minutes ago, before the music, which was great, thank you. Hey, how was your weekend? I was talking to Paul about fixing our trailer and um, talking about getting a deer this week and all of these other fun things that we come in. Hey, want a cup of coffee? And then we grind the gears to what really matters. That's a major transition, and I completely get that. Um, One of the hats that I get to wear is in the summer, I I bring a sermonette to the Sea Dogs players, and it's about an hour before they go on the field. And I'm going to give them a 10 to 15-minute talk that's going to change their life right before they go out on the field and either do great things and make millions of dollars or tank and go back to coaching high school baseball. So I get that transitions are not not easy. Um, And I give you that, so maybe as I gave you that little soft story, you can start thinking, okay, yeah, this is a transition phase. I'm also thankful that on Sunday mornings, we have enough probably scraps of muscle memory that this is the time when it's okay 
and we kind of know that, all right, we're going to get challenged somewhere in here. So I, I understand that it's Sunday morning. We've had different things happening before we got here. But I do want to really grind into what Paul is trying to communicate to, to his people. And then what does that mean for us? So back to where we left off. What, is, what does Paul want to communicate? Jordan talked about it last week. One of the things that he wanted to communicate that was really important was that he wanted his dear friends and the people he loved to be unified. He wanted them to put aside their majors and minors and focus solely on the resurrected Messiah. Um, He also wanted his people to stay connected despite their differences because of Jesus. It didn't matter kind of where you're coming from. The unifying factor was the resurrected Jesus. And he was adamant that they get that. So that's kind of thing one. Now we're into Philippians 2. We're going to pick up in verse 12. This is from the, I think they call it the Net Bible, uh, the New English Translation. Um, And I'm going to bounce between that and the message. So if you have a device and you want to read in any version of your choice, uh, Philippians 2, verse 12 So then, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence. For the one bringing forth in you both the desire and effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God without blemish, though you live in a crooked and perverse society in which you shine as lights in the world by holding on to the word of life, so that on the day of Christ, I will have reason to boast that it did not run in vain, nor labor in vain. There is a, the best run-on sentence in the Bible right there. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice together with all of you in the same way you also should be glad and rejoice together with me. So I want to emphasize one big idea throughout this whole thing. And it's actually, um, I listen to a lot of like spirituals music, not like spiritual music with like zithers, but more like the spirituals um, from the, um, the uh, they'd be called Negro spirituals, the African experience, um, a lot of slave music has this sent, uh, sentiment of this keep going, keep going, keep your hand on the plow. And that's the, the, the message that I think Paul is driving at is keep going. In the context of the time that this letter is written, Nero is the emperor in Rome. Paul was also in Rome. He's under palace guard. And this is around 61 AD. And Nero was fond of rounding up Christians and bring them to the Colosseum and feeding them to the lions. So let your mind get into that space. Paul's in, in he, it sounds like he was in kind of like house arrest, palace guard. Um, he was also hearing that Christians were being used to illuminate banquets by being set afire. Horrible, terrifying. We don't have anything in the Western world anyway to compare this to. It's horrendous. And this is the environment that he's writing to these people. Dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, continue working out your salvation with on reverence. Like, that's not the tone. And oftentimes when I'm reading this, not as a letter from uh, a man who loves people, I read that tone into it. Oh, it's just a glib thing. Just, that's easy. Just work it out. 
These are people who were in Philippi, surrounded by, it's interesting, Philippi was a Roman kind of protectorate, and a lot of the people that lived there were ex-Roman military. So you might be working with someone who is a centurion or was an ex-whatever um, they soldier. Um, and their families back in Rome were going and having fun watching the Christians beaten, while your family, <laughs> this sounds horrible, but your family may have been involved, your family may have been one of the families rounded up. So when Paul's speaking to them in this little passage, in the whole book of Philippians, this is not glib, surface-level Hey, hope you have your best life. This is really, really intense um, pleading to hold on to your faith. He commends them for their obedience. So then, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence and even in my absence, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence, which puts emphasis directly on them. And then this is, a, this is a crazy verse. The rest of the sentence says, For the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God, which puts the emphasis on these Philippian Christians who are living in the space of, when is this going to happen in Philippi? When are we going to get rounded up? They're, they're hearing, okay, so we're going to work really hard to hold on to our faith. But then God is going to, mysteriously give us the desire and effort for the sake of his good pleasure. So the message writes this as, be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. And God himself working and willing, it will, will give him the most pleasure. Um, we'll keep reading the message version. Do everything, again, remember the context, readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second-guessing allowed. Go into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Another version says crooked, um, crooked and perverse society. Carrying the light-giving message into the night, so I'll have good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. You'll be living proof that I didn't go to all this work for nothing. Again, root that passage in how they would have, what they were feeling every day as they work next to people who obviously felt differently, obviously um, were not under the same threat that they are under. So keep going. How and how and why? Two, two things here that I want to look at. So it says, do everything readily and cheerfully. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what life in 61st century Philippi felt like or looked like. I would argue it's probably less complex. Um, but it looked enough like today that we can apply some of this passage to us. Um, how I think that this idea of without bickering, being divisive and petty, as Jordan spoke about last week. So obviously if there's all of these other huge items in play socially, we, sh- we shouldn't be dividing over things like... Um, I think in one of the passages, I follow Paul, I, I follow Paul. It's like, let's let that go. Let's let those things go because the environment we're living in is it is our life and death. We, we are either going to carry this out as lights in the world or maybe the Christian faith just goes and is, is extinguished. That's the, the import of this idea of without being divisive. Um, he's encouraging them, I think, to show up to work. Keep going into the public square. 
Keep going out to dinner with your friends and family. Keep meeting with people around you. Have them into your homes in spite of all that's happening, in spite of all the things that could possibly happen. Keep going. Like keep doing the things that you do as Christians in the, in the marketplace. And, and then his why, he gives a very personal plea at the end. He said that they would live as children of light in a dark world. The church grew then as it does now by people interacting with the message of the resurrected Jesus. It's a message that didn't just appeal to one specific person group and not another. It wasn't just a Jewish message. It wasn't just for the ultra-religious. The idea is that um, every, everyone is born with the kind of the, the fingerprints of God on them. We're all made in, in the image of God. But we all were born into a crooked and perverse generation. And so when people encounter that light and they realize that, oh, life, life isn't all about darkness. Life isn't all about crookedness and, and uh, the squalid, polluted society. There, there is a light out there that I can live into that is come, kind of shining towards me. And then he adds on to that from a more personal side, keep on shining so I, Paul, I can die knowing that I didn't die for nothing. Now, in that line, I, get a, I think we get a real sense of the person, Paul. I don't think any of us want to live or suffer or exist without meaning. I think that's one of the big questions of, our, of, of humans. We all want to know that our lives matter, and Paul is no different. Um, part, part of my frustration about Paul in thinking about this it's really not about Paul. I, I've made him into like a little superhero. And so why, why would he? He's the Apostle Paul. He's seen the risen Christ. Why, why should he have an issue uh, with what people do? Paul, Paul wanted to matter. He's in prison. He's clinging daily to the same hope that he's calling them to believe in. And then he writes this deeply personal letter from there. And he asks that they do this so that when he gets to the end and when it says at the day of Christ, so when he's talking with Jesus at the end, he knows that his life wasn't wasted. And I think there's another part of it is when he's talking with Jesus at the end, he's, he's there and he sees like, okay, this, I was a cog in the wheel. Again, this wasn't written to the whole church. This was written to maybe 30, 50 people. But he wants to know that for these people, his life wasn't wasted. And I think in there we see his non-superhero-ness, his, his very regularity. Um, so here we are in 21, 2021, and the, the question is, okay, so why, why does this passage need to take up any mental real estate? Why does it matter? Um, what does this have to do with the meaning of life and why we're all here? Why should we care about this ancient convert letter to people who've been dead for almost 2,000 years. Um, and a, a couple things around that. When I have read, uh, when I read these letters, I want to identify, I usually identify with one of two people, the writer. Oh, I need to be like the writer. I need to be more like Paul. Or I identify with the, the person he's writing to. Um, whoever you identify with, great. Uh, but you and I are really secondary beneficiaries of the letter. We get to kind of sit in on the relationship and 
interpret it for, for you and where you are today, because again, we're, we're not the primary beneficiary. Um, so the question is, how does keep going in that context mesh or contrast with our current life? Um, most of us here are probably on Instagram. Raise your hands if you want to do that. Like 90%. Okay, quietly. Yes, I am on Instagram. Meta. Mark Zuckerberg already knows that we're all on Instagram, and so does God and Jesus, and he's okay with it. <laughs> so, um, but, but I was thinking about how many messages we get. Uh, if, we, if we just took like from 7 o'clock this morning till 7 o'clock tonight and looked at all of the memes around how to live your best life, and sermons and podcasts are out there. I don't think there's enough time in a lifetime to read them all. And one of the things that jumped out of this passage, and it goes back to Jordan's and Ken's uh, sermon the other day, is this life, this keep going, is not something we can do as individuals. We absolutely have to have each other in our space, in our life, as, as we live this out. So that's the first thing. We, all of the, the how-tos, and whether it's theology or just good quips on how to live your life, they're great, but we really need to live this thing in, in community, as Paul was writing to a community. Um, there's, second, there's a new thing that our, that it's actually not new, it's been around a while, but our media, our, our culture has just named it. Uh, and I want to take a few minutes talking about it, and because I, I do see it as a, it's a direct, I don't say threat, it's a direct challenge to, I think, authentic, what Paul is trying to drive at authentically, like how, how bad the world is and how great God is. Um, has anyone heard of toxic positivity? Anyone? Okay, we've heard of that. Uh, the definition of toxic positivity, and you can Google it later, please not now, is it's the excessive and ineffective overgeneralization of a happy, optimistic state across all situations. The process of toxic positivity results in denial, minimization, and invalidation of the authentic human emotional experience. Um, so I'm going to read, read that again. So toxic positive is excessive, ineffective, overgeneralization of a happy, optimistic state across all situations. The process of toxic positivity results in denial, minimization, and invalidation of the authentic human emotional experience. So there are t-shirt companies that have made it on toxic positivity. There are uh, Instagram posters that this, this is their thing. So it's, they're big on slogan. Any slogans? Any, anyone know any good slogans? That, what's that? Life is, good. Life is good. Another one. Audience participation. Be happy. Be happy. Live, laugh, love. In a nice little frame over the kitchen sink. In this home, sorry, I won't even, I, I'll try to. You go, girl. Um, if you believe it, you can achieve it. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. God will never give you more than you can handle. And this is, I can do all things. Out of context, it's okay. 
God works all things together for his good plan. You, you got this. Hang in there. And it keep going. We have, to, we have to cleanse ourselves of this. We're all in this together. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Not really. Yeah, sorry. That's, that's not. All right. If you listen to this messaging, this comes from both secular and unfortunately Christian circles. They're very common in our culture today. And they come, this is, this is my interpretation, um, but I think they come from a place of wanting to make, wanting the world to feel better, safer, more predictable, and more certain than it really is. It comes from a place of ignorance to how insidious some of the world's problems actually are. It's like if we just say good, positive things, we don't have to deal with the grime and grit of life. Darkness, and this is, this is where I think I, I've missed this for so long with Paul. Paul knew how dark darkness was. And he also, there's a lot of, uh, he talks about this light in the darkness. There's, he understands what it's like to be in a prison that is pitch black. Um, not just phys- not physically just pitch black, but he knows the feeling to the point where he says, if I die, it's Christ, and if I live, it's gain. Or if I die, it's, live, it's Christ, die, it's gain. Either way, it's a win-win. But he knows that, that even in that, it, it can be such a glib thing that someone throws out to someone who's going, hey, you know, either way, it's a win-win. No, it's not. We're born to want to live. We're not born to be like, well, either way, 50-50 shot. That doesn't feel right. I, I think that is the, the, it's like the penultimate of toxic positivity. Um, Light, light is also, Paul knew that light is primarily visible in dark darkness. So if our worldview is that everything is just kind of this opaque okay, you don't really need light because there's no such thing as really darkness. And kind of you got this allows us just to feel okay because it allows us to avoid dark and it avoids us to, we don't really need light as long as everything's okay. It's, it's so false. And it promotes a belief that there's certainty in a world that is not certain. And I think that's the thing that Paul drives at over and over and over in the letters. And not just this letter, is we are wired for certainty. We are offered certainty but we take, or we, we want the certainty, we want our certainty, not God's certainty, if that makes sense. And this idea that we've created a whole language, and now there's a whole <laughs> movement, thankfully it's, there's a movement against this idea, that no, you, you can't just gloss over how bad things are. Um, if you're the person who is in the darkness, they're incredibly deflating, they're outright false. I was thinking about this. Like if you go to an addict who's struggling with an opi- opioid addiction and say, oh, you, you've got this. You'd be like, that is absurd. We wouldn't do that. But in the church, and this is, this is where this hits kind of close, we have people who are depressed, 
who are addicted to porn, who have severe OCD, who have compulsions that they would do anything to get rid of. They're getting over past abuse. They're, getting, they're, they're working in a, in a system that is kind of broken. I think of all the people here that work at Maine Med and have to deal with the, the COVID. They show up to work every day to get it done and then to deal with the, the polit- politicization of it and then to have some, some idiot with a shirt that says, live, laugh, love. It's like, wh- are you out of your mind? Do you not live in the same world that everyone else lives in? You can't ignore how dark it is. But our culture and in the church and in our general culture around us, it's, it's so hard to look at that darkness and it gets easier just to be like, oh, you know, you got this. It's disgusting. So I, I, it's just disgusting. I was thinking about, um, we spend a fair amount of time down in Boston at Brigham and Women's and you, you can tell the couples that are there for the first time and they're fidgeting and they're nervous because they know what they're going to hear. And then there, there are, and if I was Southern, I'd say bless their heart. There are people who come in and they're like the super pink warrior. And it's like, oh, you're going to be fine. It's like, you have no clue. You have absolutely no idea what it's like to be in this space. And it's obnoxious that you, you try to come at us with platitudes. So anyway, if you come at Paul's letters and you read them as I have for a long time where he's just throwing platitudes out there and he's saying, you know, be a light in the darkness. And we don't really come to grips with Paul who has seen Jesus and has since that time has just had the we'll say the stuffing kicked out of him. And in spite of every time they try to knock him down, in spite of every time he gets flogged and beaten and all of this, I I think part part of it is because he saw Jesus physically, and this is my own thought, it allowed him to take on so much more abuse than maybe any of us could. But because of that strong belief that he had and that experience he had with Jesus... It allowed him, and, and that, and also watching Stephen, he was one of the people at Stephen's uh, stoning, and he collected the coats allegedly. Well, all of the, the uh, religious elite stoned Stephen, and I've I got to think that some little seed was planted in him then. He's like, okay, this is not normal. And that probably started, started the path and then to be able to see the Jesus that Stephen was looking at as he was being stoned gave him the ability. And we need to be really careful with how we apply this to other people to say, uh, be light in the darkness. Do, do everything readily and cheerfully. And I can hear him almost like begging them. Again, he's in prison and he knows that the knock can come at his door the next day. It's like, hey, Paul, party's over. You're done. And from that, from that space, he can call them to this living. So anyway, I, I, we're going to move on to communion. And I saw that the closing verse, and I'm going to pull that up too. But 
So we take this, we take this weekly. Um, and this, this communion act is also wrapped in this idea that, yeah, Paul, Paul had it pretty bad. He, he put up with a lot. Um, but the crux of our faith, the absolute like bedrock of our faith, is that Jesus comes, and I'm going to pull my phone out because I have it on my phone. I have the full, uh, full passage up in or earlier in chapter two. Jesus comes to Earth, and this is um, Paul's quoting. He says, "Though he existed in the form of God, did not re- regard equality with God as something to be grasped. He didn't have to deal with this. He didn't have to deal with any of it. But he emptied himself." And he took on the form of a slave by looking like other men and sharing in human nature. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of not prison or not a couple beatings or not ostracization, even death on a cross. And as a result, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So he didn't have to deal with any of this. The, the bedrock of our faith is that Jesus, who is God, who creates us, does not stand off and offer us platitudes. He doesn't say, hey, Ethan, you rock. You got this. Because he knows I don't. And he knows you don't. And he knows that all things don't work together for good in the way that I see good. But he's the one who says, no, 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 it, it will work together for you because I've taken all the bad in me, okay? And it's going to feel horrible some days. But I want you to trust me, Ethan, because the consequence that you should have lived in meaninglessness and kind of doing your own thing as a, as a kind of non-human, I'm giving you my life and now you get to participate with me as you are meant to participate with me. And, and see the fullness of I am, not just in this life. Trust me, though, Ethan. I know what it's like. I have, I have been all the way, f- I've been further than you will ever go. And trust me that I will be there in this life and the next one. So he offers us this. And it's also important as, as we are now these lights that Paul says, like, be lights in this darkness. We can, we can be with the addict. We can be with the abused. We can be with the sick, the depressed, the despondent, the anxious, because he's with us. And here's the kicker, all right? And this, this, this hits me like a two by four. I am so quick to think about how I can be with them and I can bring Jesus to them. But guess what? We are them, okay? Everyone in this room has issues that I, if, if we had time, we would absolutely love that weren't part of us. And what this allows us to do is it allows us to share our true selves with each other because that's how Jesus shares himself with us. He says, you have, you have all of my life and I know you're broken. I know you have issues. I know all of this, but I'm going to be with you. And now we get to be with each other. So it's not just about them. It's about how we are with each other. And how that happens mysteriously, because I, I don't have all the X's and O's figured out, but we can live mysteriously and hopefully into each other's lives. 
And he invites us in that, in that same mystery into his resurrection life through communion. So I'm, I'm going to pray. Actually, before I pray, I want to I read the pa- We're going to read this all together at the end, but I'm going to read this. It jumped out to me. The benediction and the response are from uh, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. And I want you to read this in the, in, in the space that I think we need to be in. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Do not worry about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Think about those words to the people he was writing to and where they are. Don't worry about anything. Are you out of your mind, Paul? Are you absolutely crazy? But in everything by prayer and supplication, again, he can write this because he knows them. He knows them intimately. He cares for them intimately. And he is someone who can say these things to them because he has that relationship, that strength of relationship. So I would offer that to us as well. And I'm thankful we get to go through that as the benediction. I'm going to pray and then we can be done. God, again, I ask that you would help us to take what is from you and take it into our minds and into our lives. I thank you that you you are with us in a way that allows us to be with ourselves, in ourselves, and in a way that allows us to be with each other authentically without having to hide behind platitudes, without having to hide behind, or without having to think that we're better than we are, or having to feel like we need to put off some image. I thank you that you come to us, all of us, not just a piece of us. Help us to rest in you today and, and give hope to those around us and be lights in this world. In your name, amen. something is the hope that we have through Christ that all of those those dark places uh, that Ethan was talking about uh, it's on God it's on Jesus all of our sin all of our shame uh, was taken has taken that on himself and given us life. As you uh, work to get the cups open, I encourage
verses, uh, and then we will participate uh, in communion together. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Please take the parts together as I work through this part. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord on the night, the, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Thank you. 